Hey guys, this video is sponsored by Ibble. Make sure you guys download the app, follow me, and talk to me on there. Chris Hansen. Blair. Welcome to the show. Thank you so for glad having you're me. Here. Yeah, you it's flew awesome. all the way to Austin from New York. Congratulations on no, all this. Thank you. Yeah. No direct flights from LaGuardia. Every time I go to New York, it's like- I know, I, but I knew that going in. It's, it's it, Flying to me is like shaving. It's just something you do before you go to work. I mean, it's, oh. it's, it's fairly effortless, but it was a little bit of a challenge, but kind of just fine. For me, I have like the worst phobia of flying. Uh, so every flight is like, I'm right. basically about to die every single time. Yeah. It Earlier on when I was traveling, I went through phases like that. But at some point, you just got to get over it. And I think the more you fly, the less anxiety you have. It is what it is. Yeah. So we're not here to talk about flying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so to catch a predator, but you're also a journalist, podcaster, television personality, you wear mini hats. Um, obviously the most iconic thing is probably gonna be to sure, catch a predator. Absolutely. Would you have ever guessed that you'd be busting as many pedophiles over the years as you had? Never. Um, and again, it's you know, ten percent of my portfolio essentially, but it is absolutely the most recognizable, uh, iconic pop culture yeah. thing that I've ever done. And I honestly thought we'd do it well in the beginning I didn't know if anybody would show up. You know, we had this home in Bethpage, Long Island, and I'm driving out there, and I'm thinking, what if I've just wasted tens of thousands of dollars of the network's money? What if right. nobody shows up? We had partnered with Perverted Justice. The police were not involved in the first two investigations. And the phone rings, and I pick it up. It's my producer, Lynn Keller, who says, where the hell are you? We've got two guys scheduled to be here in 45 minutes. I said, holy hell, race out there, and it's happening. And it was just shocking to have these guys showing up. And we didn't have the system down in that first investigation. So the transcripts were getting mixed up and I was walking out with the wrong transcript for the wrong guy. And so I'd sit there and say, well, it says here, you want to do this, that, and the other thing with a 12-year-old girl named Suzanne. No, it's not me. Excuse me. We had another 13-year-old named Beth. No, it's not me. Third time, yeah, Carla, who's 13. Yeah, that's me. Okay, great. And went into the, the interview. But it was mind-boggling. I thought we'd do it two or three times and nobody would show up. And here we are 18 years later. Right. We did one two months ago. Yeah, you're still doing it. And a cop showed up, a police officer. The the guy was a cop. The guy was a cop who showed oh up. Oh my God. Isn't Worked that crazy? Kids. Yeah. It's crazy how, you know, you think of crimes like other um, sort of comparable, like crimes against humanity, like serial killers and whatever. Right. And you can point to like, okay, there are some common denominators like you know, they tortured animals as right. a kid or a violent upbringing. What is the, since you've been around more pedophiles than really anyone. <laughs> it's a shocking distinction. <laughs> right. What's the common denominators? I think the common denominator is they don't stand out of a crowd for the most part. And you've seen the oh, shows. God. I mean, sometimes we have a guy who rolls in, he might as well have the word predator tattooed on his forehead because it's so janky and creepy looking. But generally speaking, these guys look like they could be standing next to you at the grocery store on a Saturday morning. You know, they don't. We've had doctors. We've had uh, run-of-the-mill clerks. We've had truck drivers. We've had cops, as I just mentioned. We've had right. people from all walks of life. And I think they break down into three different categories. I'm not a therapist, obviously, but I've talked to a lot of people about this over the years. And I think you have the hardcore heavy hitter pedophiles who would do this with or without the Internet, right? And then you've got the second group of younger guys who are socially inept they think it's okay to say things online they wouldn't say in person. And then they start to think, well, she may be only 13 or 14 and I'm 20, 21, but it'll even out at some point and it's a Romeo-Juliet thing. It's still wrong, but they do it. Those guys can typically, in many cases, be rehabilitated with treatment and monitoring. And then there's this other third group in the middle, guys who have a predilection for this, but wouldn't act upon it without the internet, the addictive nature, the... 24-7 access and the anonymity and they get into these conversations and you can watch it. It's like a grooming process. Right. And they get to a point where they can't resist crossing from fantasy into reality and, and trespassing across this borderline that we have in society between adults and children and they show up knocking at our door. Well, what's crazy is, so this is similar to me of like the feeling when I did the Joe Rogan podcast right. is like talking to someone that I watched as a kid, Fear Factor, To Catch a Predator. Sure. Uh, so it's really cool for me. But the thing about when you started the show back then was you had maybe like what, like AOL chat rooms, Absolutely. Yahoo, very basic. Yeah. Now you have. <laughs> it, it, 
I can't even keep up with it, Blair. I mean, right. you're right. When we started, we had chat rooms on AOL and Yahoo. We had an investigation once where there was a, a fire, massive fire on the West Coast, and the Yahoo chat rooms went down. We had to stop the investigation. We couldn't, oh, wow. we couldn't have the decoys chatting because the rooms are down, and we couldn't guide the people who were already chatting into the sting house. So we right. actually had to stop for a week and then come back and resume the investigation. And I think the other crazy part about the fact that social media is so widespread now, and there's so many different oh. platforms, is the fact that even back then, you know, obviously there were decoys that you guys were using. Sure. They weren't real kids. However, more kids than ever on the internet now. Even when I was a kid, it wasn't until I was maybe 14 or 15, I was really on the internet. Right. Now you have like seven-year-olds on Instagram. Absolutely. And, and it's hard to monitor because you've got TikTok and you've got um, Skip the Games and all these rooms that were sort of set up for adults, but kids can circumvent it and get in there and and it's never ending and, and you even have this happening with the interactive gaming you know most parents think well you know my kid is up playing a game what's the harm well the harm is that he's talking or she's talking to people who they really don't know right in real life the gaming is a big one because you have like twitch oh yeah and i'm sure now that you're doing all the online work and we're accustomed oh. with all that it's insane it is and, and imagine during the pandemic when more kids were online than ever before, the oh, reports yeah. of inappropriate contact between adults and children and the transmission of inappropriate material to children skyrocketed like 900% according oh, to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. And this is mandatory reporting from the social media platforms. They have to report this to NCMEC. So it's a reliable so it piece even, of data. Yeah. You know. My God, there almost needs to be like 500 Chris Hansen's just to keep up. Well, it's <laughs> it's a full-time job. <laughs> right. What do you think is the, I was thinking about this because last night I was watching old episodes of the show and I was thinking, this is such compelling television, but why, right? Like what is the psychology behind the viewer and how, I mean, the show was a huge hit, still is, still gets massive numbers on YouTube. What's the psychology behind people who, for lack of a better word, enjoy watching it? Well, I think it's taking people inside the commission of a felony. And, and I've always tried to do this with my work, is to, to take the viewer on a journey of discovery, whether it's a murder case or whether it's a scam artist or a financial predator or a predator of any sort, bring them inside. Right. And what we were able to do with the Predator franchise and what we learn from it and apply to everything else we do is that this sort of immersive enterprise reporting really is entertaining to people and it's important because you take people inside, they hear things they wouldn't normally hear, they see things they wouldn't normally see. And it's not easy to do. Yeah. And it requires, you know, a, a lot of effort and a little bit of risk and a lot of trust on the part of law enforcement, which fortunately for me over 40 years of doing this, I have um, maintained. And so it's a combination of that and, and the ability, I think, to think on your feet. I mean, anybody can jump out of a back room and beat the shit out of somebody for 10 seconds of dramatic video. Right. The skill here is to apply what I do and what you do as interviewers in a high stress situation where there are multiple things happening at the same time to that interview and to be genuinely curious as to what brought that guy into the situation and get them to talk to you. I think the format of the way that you interact with them is also another reason people find it so interesting because it's kind of like are they going to get away even though yeah. you know it always or not always but most of the time it ends with them getting arrested outside sure. the house it's kind of like are they going to worm their way out of this are they not which how many what, what percentage of the people you busted would you say went to jail i think the conviction rate is near you know 99.9 percent there's oh, wow. only one investigation in texas where some of the guys were not prosecuted because of a political dispute between the police and the prosecutor's office so some of those guys walked, others were arrested on other charges, similar charges later, ironically. But virtually everyone who's surfaced in one of these investigations is prosecuted. Now, not everybody goes to jail. It depends on what their background is, if they've had a prior you know, offense. You know, we've had guys who have had two prior offenses uh, sexually assaulting children. Those guys are going away forever. An average guy say, in the Hanson versus Predators investigation in Fairfield, Connecticut, got two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, 
that's good. It was 99%, right? I thought it maybe would be lower because. No, it's, and, and I, th- those are, you know, those are estimates, but it's the, yeah, the only, there's only one case out of 400 or between 400 and 500 now um, amidst all the predator investigations um, that went to court and was dismissed, dismissed. Right. The others were not prosecuted for whatever reason. In the first two investigations we did, we did not collaborate with law enforcement. So some of those guys were arrested and prosecuted after the fact. I see. It wasn't until the third investigation that we collaborated with law enforcement. So it was it was more organized. And we did that for two reasons. One, it was socially responsible. Two, as a television producer, it was unfulfilling to the viewer to see these guys walk out the door and yeah. not face any consequences. I mean, that's just reality. Yeah. And I took a lot of heat for allegedly working too close with law enforcement. I was fine with that because that's what had to be done. What, what would the... Well, it's, you know, you get some old line journalists who think you shouldn't be collaborating with law enforcement to set up a sting. And my position was we had an ethical wall. We do today uh, in the investigations we're working on as we speak to protect our journalistic integrity and still embed with law enforcement and take people into this crime hold people accountable who get involved in it mm-hmm. and to create dialogue and awareness that wouldn't exist without this. Right. I mean, what's the alternative? Like you said, just letting them, okay, we're just right. embarrassing you on TV and you get to go do whatever you want. I mean, think of all the kids and I'm sure you've thought about this and I'm sure you get a lot of kudos for this all the time. But um, if you think about it, how many predators did you bust first of all on the show or roughly? In all the versions of the show were above 400. Okay. So then you multiply that 400 predators by, you know, they're never just harming one kid. No. You know, multiply it by 10 or 20, however much you want, maybe right. even more. You know, you're, you literally And what have, would they have done if we hadn't caught them? Right. What would they do in the future? Right. You Not literally saved a ton past. of kids. I think so. Yeah, 100%. Um, the other difficult thing or frustrating thing, but also kind of eye-opening thing about the internet and predators online is that you actually do get to understand their motives a little more because mm-hmm. some of them, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure you're way more familiar with the psychology of a pedophile, is they seem to think they're misunderstood. They seem to think that this is an affliction or a, an cases, orientation. Yeah. So what is your take? Because that's a debate online. Is it an orientation similar to being gay that you can be born with or is it a mental illness? Well, I think it's different for different guys. I think there is a, a subset where they're just born this way, they're wired this way for right. whatever reason. I think there are guys who were victimized and that experience led them to victimize others. And there are those who, who, as I mentioned, just wired that way and and seek to normalize this behavior as if there's nothing wrong with it. And it's, these are children, right? Right. They're not capable. The reason why we set ages for consent is because kids aren't psychologically able to make that decision about consent. And so you have to hold other adults accountable. That's our our most precious asset. Right. Our children. And then um, what do you say to the people who say that they weren't actually committing any crimes because it was a decoy, it wasn't actually a kid? Because I do remember thinking that when I was a kid. I never was, I always loved the show, but I was always like, well, they didn't technically harm a kid. What's your response to that? It's still a crime. Yeah. People do, law enforcement does sting operations across the country. They've been upheld as legitimate investigations. Uh, The threshold is very clear in law. And the crime in many states, in most states, occurs with the solicitation. So it really doesn't matter whether they showed up. Right. The solicitation is online. It's the conversation. That's the backbone of most of these cases. I mean, when they show up and they talk to me or they talk to law enforcement, that's interesting it's great television. It's important to understand how these guys' heads work. But the crime is committed online in most it's states. similar to if you go to hire a hitman, right? It's exactly. like, you know, you're not actually hiring a hitman. They're undercover or whatever, right. but you're still going to go to jail because you're still trying to kill someone. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter whether the guy is actually an ATF agent posing as a hitman. You hired a hitman to kill your spouse. But isn't it interesting that people try to find, like, reasons why you maybe shouldn't be getting these fucking pedophiles in trouble? Uh, it, it shocks me, uh, but it, it's, it's you know, people always take a contrarian position no matter what you're trying yeah. to do. 
right? And that creates drama and it creates views and, and clicks, and you know that yeah. better than anyone. So I guess it shouldn't shock me, but it does. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Here's a guy who wants to have sex with a child. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the network when we had done the first investigation. We did it in February, and it didn't air till September. And we we're having these discussions about how we do this and do we interview experts and how do we show it and we knew it was going to be compelling television and I became frustrated and an executive said well I just don't know how we're going to promote this I said, what do you mean we don't know how to promote it here's how you promote it there's a man standing on your back porch and wants to have sex with your teen daughter tonight we're going to show you how to stop catch that him. from happening yeah just catch him yeah, yeah. people look at me like hmm, you know, Hanson's lost his mind this time I said no this is the story well that's part of why it was so iconic right is because it was it had never been done before. That format was something right. entirely new, mm-hmm. and since then, never really been done before either. Why do you think no one's tried to? Well, it's not. It? It's not. It's not easy to do, Blair. I mean, we had perverted justice in the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, which is no longer, you know, a group anymore, and we were able to use uh, their decoys uh, to have these chats, and we wired a house with cameras and microphones, and the guys would show up. And, you know, other networks tried to hire them away or get them to work there or they tried to replicate it in one way or the other. And, you know, we sort of had it down in a way and we developed a trust with law enforcement ultimately that other people have not. And, and there are other uh, journalists doing good undercover investigative work in this field. But you also get a lot of vigilante groups who try to do this right. online. And, you know, they've caught some some bad guys. It makes me queasy. I get requests all the time to collaborate with so-and-so or so-and-so and and do this or do that. And I don't do it, not because they're necessarily bad humans. I don't do it because they're hard cases to prosecute. So there's no justice sometimes at the end. And a lot of these guys are just out there to beat the shit out of somebody for the sake of getting dramatic YouTube video. And that's not what I do. Right. I was going to ask you what you think, because there are a lot of like I guess, for lack of a better term, DIY. Right. Well, they, look, there's a place in our world for citizen journalists. Right. Right. And people should be able to have a forum to say what they want and to express their opinions and views as long as it's not harming anybody or slanderous. But I think sometimes these vigilante groups will cross the line and they're not held accountable. What would you say the line is? I think the line is if you're doing it in a way that is could create harm or danger to yourself or to that person or others, and there's very little possibility of having justice at the end of it, and if you're just being in there to create a dramatic snippet of video, it's probably not, it's probably crossing the line. Yeah, because I think it's like, you know, everyone has that moment where you hear about a heinous crime or a right. child being harmed and you're like, I want to fucking kill that person. Right. I want to beat the shit. And but it's, you to know. be fair, some of these groups have outed very prominent media people who've done some bad stuff. Right. So uh, those people should be should be held accountable. Mm-hmm. Is this the way to do it? I mean, I, I get nervous about some yeah. of these guys. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think it's, I guess, what you define justice as because beating the fuck out of someone it's like i guess in a way it's justice but what you really want is someone held accountable by the system right and to send a message to other people exactly. doing the same thing although i guess beating the fuck out of someone sends a message to i don't know i guess i'm mixed I, I, yeah <laughs> I, I, again there is a place for citizen journalists yeah. and when you look at the the vast array of podcasts and youtubers i mean there are things that have been exposed that would not have been exposed otherwise right i mean look at the, some of the work you've done i mean the, some of this stuff would have never seen Uh, the light of day without that. Yeah, I used to do, and I guess I still occasionally do do, um, like a predator video where I'm kind of exposing a predator, but I was going to ask you about this because I kind of had to stop Yeah. because it weighed on me psychologically to sort of be um, learning about and researching and, and diving into the stories of like such dark shit. And you've done that more than anyone. So does that ever weigh on just your soul? Because it, it, You know, to sit through an interview with somebody who's been victimized by a predator online or in person, and you want to dig deep into that person and get them to tell 
the story that is important and compelling and to share details that are sometimes painful Mm -hmm. because you want others to understand why this guy is so bad and why he should be held accountable. And it's, it's a cautionary tale to make sure it doesn't happen to you or your loved ones, but it does, it, it it drains me. I mean, that's when I know an interview has gone well or, you know, is going to have impact is I'm drained at the end of it. And right. I don't sit there with a list of questions. I, you know, I immerse myself in the, in the details of the matter and I have a conversation and, and it, it is draining, but you know, that's what I do. Someone has to do it. You know, right. you think of people who um, take care of rape victims in the ICU. People that's who tough take work. I don't know if children. I could, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. It takes a special person. Even just like being like a, a veterinarian. It's like just seeing sick puppies all day and stuff oh, like that. Like, I, I had to put one dog down in my life and it almost killed me. Right, right. <laughs> Two dogs I had to put down, I shouldn't say. Oh, God. So I want to know what you think about, because it's really fucked up, but there is kind of an evolution of the pedophile community because there does seem to be a community. They call themselves MAPS, yeah. which is a disgusting term. Yeah. It's a politically correct term, which stands for minor attracted people. What are your thoughts on the fact that they have created a movement and they're sort of mirroring like the gay rights movement? Well, it's wrong, clearly. Right. It's offensive, clearly. It's illegal, clearly. And, you know, without the internet, it wouldn't exist. Right. I mean, this is nothing more than the North American Man-Boy Love Association of the, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s. There was a group and they they were prolific. Oh, Nambla. Yeah, yeah. And um, NAMBLA was pretty much put out of business because the FBI had investigated and, and, and gone after these guys. And, you know, they'd have cruises where they'd invite, you know, boys and they'd be engaged in human trafficking and all this stuff. And, and they were done. Then came the Internet. And now everybody has a way of communicating the dark net in a way that can't be monitored by law enforcement. But it, it, it's, it's just sick and grotesque to, for these guys to try to normalize that. It's wrong. It's patently wrong. Yeah, I mean, they have a flag and everything. It's kind of insane because I think the most, or not the most, but one of the very offensive aspects of that is the fact that they're kind of looking at how gay people or lesbians have sort of gotten social traction and come to acceptance, and they're mirroring it. And to an extent, I'm not going to say it's working, but it's not not working. You have certain, you know, have you seen like videos like college professors teaching it and shit like that? I'm aware they exist. I've not actually watched them. Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's a fine line because, you know, as a journalist, you should watch it. So, you know, as a human being, it's like, ugh, yeah, I don't want to see this guy try to justify something that I know is evil. It's why I stopped doing a lot of the predator content. Cause it's kind of like, it just, I don't know, being sort of inundated with the seediest part of society and of, of humanity is kind of just like you said, it's draining. Well, you get to, I'm fortunate cause I get to do a lot of different things. Now, Yes, they're all in the crime genre. Mm-hmm. They're all dark, but it's enough of a variety where you step away from that true victimization of a child for a little bit, and yeah. you get a variance of topics that you work on. But it is—it's—it's it's important, and I think um, you know if you're not out there doing it, who's going to do it? Right. Um, have you ever feared for your life on a shoot? Because these situations are so. You're seeing someone at the lowest part of their right. life from their perspective, and you never know what someone's going to do when they're like, okay, this is it, you know? And people probably show up with weapons. I mean, it's not like they're searched because that would give it away. Right. Well, we had a case in Florida, in Flagler Beach, where a guy had been chatting all week. and He was a police officer in a small town at the Florida-Alabama border. And he never showed until we had broken down one night and we we're already back at the hotel and um, one of the perverted justice decoys gets a call and says, hey, this guy says he's in the neighborhood. He was at a payphone. And so the police busted him on a traffic stop. He had a loaded thirty-eight in his pocket. He had a shotgun, uh, an assault rifle, and a forty-five in his car. Oh, my God. With 800 rounds of ammunition. Fuck. So what if he had walked in? Now, we have a lot of precautions in place right. to detect or to, to make sure that a weapon doesn't get into the, the house, but you never really know. And I think that's part of what makes 
the show is so compelling is that that could happen. I mean, we, we make it as absolutely as safe as it can be. How can you, though? I mean, it's Well, because, you, you know, there's, there's inherent risk, clearly. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay, it just is what it is. Yeah. But, you know, I have security. We have law enforcement there. And, and the way we do it now is if the thing starts to roll sideways, law enforcement makes the arrest. I do what I do unless it goes sideways. And then law enforcement steps in. Right. And then I get another chance to interview the guy after that. So if it goes to plan, the guy walks in, I meet him after a con- he has a conversation with the decoy. We do the interview with the hidden cameras. At some point, I explain who I am, which shocks me that guys don't know who I am. Yeah. Today. <laughs> right. Later. I mean, that it still happens. You, you know? would think they're like have like posters of you on their wall. Right. Avoid this space. <laughs> yeah. Stay away. Right. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately they leave and get arrested. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's edgy. And, and when I'm doing these interviews, I'm looking at their hands, I'm looking at their right. body language. And there have been times when a guy has tensed up and I thought, wow, I'm out of position. There's no kitchen counter between that guy and me. And I better be on my toes. Now, right. again, there's a lot of security that goes into it. So it's, it's as safe as it could possibly be. How does your family feel about like such a crazy job you're doing? I mean, well, or it's scary. I, I, I think that, you know, you, They've evolved with me, you know. I, I think, uh, you know, my wife wants me to be careful. Right. Um, she understands that's the job. Uh, the two older kids are in the business. Uh, oh, what do they do? My eldest is uh, in Brooklyn. He's in television production and film production, and so he's assisting camera on a number of projects. He's worked on some of my stuff, but he's got his own thing. And then my second son is a reporter for the Fox uh, station in Orlando. Oh, okay. And then the two youngest are in business. They're they're the smart ones. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, staying away from yeah. TV. My God. So I have a couple specific episodes I really want to ask sure. you about. First is, his name is Justin Smith. He was the Nickelodeon guy. Yeah. So you busted him. Right. He was a producer, editor for Nickelodeon, yeah. something like that. They rehired him in 2019. Did you know that? I was aware of that. He's an upcoming uh, segment in the uh, in the podcast. So oh, you're doing more about him. him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We got more coming. And How crazy is that? It, it's it's shocking to me. Now, obviously, just because you work at Nickelodeon doesn't mean you work with kids, but it raises questions. Yeah. And there have been other allegations about people who've worked there, and mm-hmm. you know what they may or may not be up to in their off hours. So it raises the whole specter, but we'll, we'll, he's not next week, but the week after. So I'll, we've got uh, a little oh, wow. research going on. Yeah, I'll, I'll promise uh, to update you then. I think that is kind of just a statement on, you know, Hollywood does have this really sick tendency to excuse these things. Why? I don't know. Less so today. I, I mean, I think I finally so. there's been a reckoning, and I hope it doesn't go too far the other way. Things are so visible now. Well, it's visible and people are being held accountable. I mean, look at, you know, Weinstein and, and yeah. uh, you know, R. Kelly and, and uh, uh, Epstein, really, and, and Peter Nygaard. All these people were in media, fashion, Hollywood, and, and got away with it because they mm-hmm. had a lot of money for decades. And finally, they got, you know, called out on it. And the only explanation I can even think of why it's so excused on industry is that there just has to be you know, you never want to go on a witch hunt and suspect people of things that there's no reason to suspect them. But there might just be a lot of pedophiles working in that industry. At least there were when it was more prevalent. Well, you know, it's hard to tell how, yeah. you know, if it's a pedophile thing. It's, it, I think it's it's more of a everybody got a pass because everybody wanted to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, everybody was afraid. Or if you're on one side of the business, you were afraid to call out somebody who's in management because they controlled your career. Yeah. And it was very top heavy in management. So if you had somebody who was corrupt or, you know, engaging in obscene or illegal behavior, there was a tendency to let it slide. Right. I mean, you, you read these stories about people who worked with Weinstein who would, you know, wear two and three sets of pantyhose to a meeting just in case he decided so to go after him. I mean, that's insane. That's it's outrageous. So, and how it was just a known thing for so long. Yeah. Insane. So people really wanted me to ask you about um, the Ghislaine Maxwell story. Sure. The Epstein story. Um, and your thoughts on the fact that the list of clients has not been released, despite the fact that, you know, it's, it's known that she, and she's pleaded guilty and all that. Epstein is an interesting case. I started to work on that back in 2015, 2016. 
and uh, uh, I tried to fashion a predator-like sting because he had already done his time and he was out. And, and oh, you tried to get Epstein? Yeah. And, oh shit! And, and I, I knew some people who were involved in the investigation. We hadn't really interviewed any victims or anything, but I talked to some of the lawyers, and and the levels of security were such that it was very difficult for me to do the sting the way I envisioned it. I'm sure. And there's a lesson here. There was a big lesson for me as a journalist. So we get into it. I've got documents. I've got things. I've got knowledge. But I get busy with other stuff, right? So I kind of set it aside for a little bit. It was the Miami Herald and Julie K. Brown, the reporter down there, who day after day after day kept digging and chipping away at the story and finally gained the confidence of some of these survivors to actually identify themselves and talk. And it was that investigation by the Miami Herald that led to the prosecution of Epstein in New York. Even the U.S. attorney at the time said so. The lesson to me is that just because you can't do it exactly the way you want to do it, you got to keep on it. Right. The other lesson is how important local news is because mm -hmm. without the Miami Herald and Julie K. Brown, he may not have been held accountable. And without Epstein being arrested, then you don't have Ghislaine Maxwell arrested. So, uh, I mean, in that case, I think he got a pass for a while because some people viewed it as, well, technically these girls were old enough to consent. Um, they were paid, but they As if adults were can't be trafficked. Right. They were trafficked. Yeah. And there was a whole method to it. I mean, I've talked to, um, and I'm back working on that story because I've got the potential to talk to some victims who've not spoken out before who have some mm. really dramatic and important information if I can finally get interviews with some of these people, they know and they will tell you in graphic detail how Ghislaine would identify them sitting on a bench, you know, off a campus and start the grooming process and, oh, and really, really, really get them involved. And suddenly they're in over their heads. And, and that's, you, you know, when you read the transcripts of a predator, that's the grooming process. When you see these, when you see a 12 year old get co-opted and groomed by a, a 26 year old in Florida and, convince a 12-year-old to leave her parents' home, climb out the bedroom window, and meet him in a church parking lot, that's grooming. You see this over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's like there's a textbook for these guys. And you can do it to adults. It yeah. happens to adults. Yeah. Um, and I think just the fact that the the Epstein shit and the Ghislaine Maxwell shit was so, they were surrounded by so many powerful people, politicians, celebrities. Oh, yeah. And so people are looking at this and like, okay, so the list is just never going to come out? Well, I, I don't know. You know, the, the, the FBI has pictures that they took from his safe on the Upper East Side Mansion. Those pictures exist. Now, I've not seen them. I'm led to believe there are prominent people in them. One of the ways Epstein got away with this for so long was he developed powerful, wealthy people and co-opted them. Mm -hmm. So they had a reason not to call him out for his bad behavior. And on one end, you could see that, well, if you're a wealthy guy and you're single and here's this other wealthy guy and he's got a private jet and he's hanging out with beautiful women and he's going to an island and, oh, all right, maybe. But, you know, one step further into this, you see that it's a human trafficking operation with young right. girls who are showing up and, and, and being put in, in horrible situations. Uh, but I think there are, there, there are a number of prominent people who were in on this for at least some period of time. So does that all come out? I think it'll turn on whether or not Ghislaine decides to cooperate and try to lessen her sentence. And right. she's got some time to think about that in a federal prison. And if she decides to, there's a, there's a mechanism for this in the federal judicial system to say, I want to proffer a cooperative plea and you can have a meeting off the record with the prosecutor and say, I will testify this, this, and this, and this. And if I do so, and those are successful prosecutions, I want this taken off my sentence. So we'll see. Does she do all that time? I, I don't know. Does she have time to think about it and decide to give it up? Maybe. Seems to be a no-brainer. I mean, why not name names if you're already going to? I would think so. But, but, but then again, I mean, here's a question for you. Do you think Epstein really killed himself? I do. Oh, you do? I do. Okay. What's your reasoning? Because I think he couldn't stand the thought of being in prison, and he thought that that's where he was going to be going, that there was no way that he was going to buy his way out of this one. I think it's, it's 
crazy to think that he could get away with it in a federal lockup. But knowing what we now know about the MCO in Manhattan, it was a shit show. You had guys who weren't, you know, properly trained. You had uh, understaffing issues. And, and was there some effort to look the other way so he could do it? Maybe. But I think it was a, I think it was a suicide. Yeah, I'm kind of split on it. I feel like people who completely write off the chance that he really did kill himself, I think that's a little bit misguided because if you think about it, someone who's so rich, so massively powerful, their worst nightmare must be right. being behind bars, having no power, having no access to their money. And someone might, I could see, want to kill yourself over yeah. that. Well, he was done. And he came to the realization that he was done, that he was yeah. never going to be found not road. guilty. It was it. This was, he had a, in his mind, he had a good run. And even if he was exonerated, which wasn't going to happen, his fortune was gone. Nobody would talk to him. He's a pariah. And, right. you know, he, he was amazingly let back into certain levels of society after he served that year in, you know, weekend jail or whatever it was that he had, that sweetheart deal that he negotiated down in Florida. But, you know, a lot of collateral damage there in that case. Yeah. I think it's... Also, though, entirely possible someone killed them. I mean, the crazier you things You can't have rule happened. anything out. Yeah. You're right. Uh, you know, I tend to not be a conspiratorial guy. You know, I tend to look for facts, and if I can get my mind around it, uh, I can understand a, a scenario. Yeah, um, my mind goes on another trip. Well, it's fine. And, yeah. and thank God that we have people, you know, everybody... Crazy people. Here. People have to do it, <laughs> you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I, I have seen nothing that leads me to believe it wasn't a suicide at this point. Right. I think another reason why people get so fascinated with the with Ghislaine's part of the story is that just the idea of like a woman violating women just seems like it's horrible. Somehow, in Who some context, that? a different violation. Yeah. You know, well, knowing that that's this girl's fate, and she co-ops her so anyway. premeditated, and so exactly premeditated, and there's almost like a script, and she was doing this to satisfy Epstein and to stay in his good graces because obviously she was living a certain lifestyle because of it. Right. And was compensated because of it. Yeah. Speaking of female predators, you've never, to my knowledge, in all the videos I watched last night and all that, you've never busted a, a woman no, diddler, right? No, no. Um, you know, I did a book several years ago about the predator experience and we did highlight a case of a woman who was doing that. But generally, Psychiatrists say that if you're going to see a female predator, it's more along the lines of the teacher-student scenario. Uh, female predators don't like the anonymity where the male predator gets off on it. And so that's the basic, basic reason. We had one case one time where um, a guy said he was bringing his girlfriend. And I think that was just a not in all the cases we've never seen one. That's so interesting. It also speaks to maybe the psychology of like the sexuality of women, which they tend to obviously be more interested in like romantic relationships. So they develop these romantic. I bonds think that's with exactly kids. right. Right. Yeah. Which is, I mean, even more maybe not more fucked up, but like just a different kind of fucked up. I guess. Well, it is. I mean, look, it's illegal, and they have this debate all the time about you know, is it. Should it be punished? Should a teacher be punished for being involved with a 16-year-old boy? Well, yeah, it's, it's yeah. You it's have the, the same whole law. oh he wanted it right. or whatever, but or it's like it was a fantasy come true. Yeah. Or anything, but that's it's still it's the age of consent. You're not allowed to do it. But it's like, does that argument really hold up if the no, victim was a female? No, of course exactly. not. Exactly. Yeah. So I always find that so frustrating, and it seems like almost you hear about more the female. Because it's almost like a sensational thing. It's like, oh, what well, is sensational? Teacher. We've seen all the stories that play out. And, and you know, you, you do you see the teacher and the young kid. And I, I don't, I, it's like, what, what makes you think that's okay, though? People, and, and, well, I think it's because people excuse it so much. I think people are a lot quicker to excuse or at least in some ways look the other way when it's like a teacher who's maybe, I don't still know, a child, though. It's still a child. But I see all the time, like you see a headline, it's like teacher has relationship with 13 year old boy. And all the comments are these just like well, old the dudes Mary are Kay, like, I the would case where there was, I Which mean, that went that? on forever. There was the teacher out West with the, the student and she went to prison and got out and then they got married and then they got divorced and she died oh. recently, a few years back. But it was a big 
big one of the big teacher student cases, sensational cases of the nineties. So yeah. Um. So the other episode, because I'm jumping all over the place, the other episode I want to ask you about was the guy who showed up naked. Huh. John Canelli. And then special guy twenty nine. And then that was his great name. And then, I think you busted him the next day, again? So this is our second investigation. Okay. We were outside of Washington, D.C. in Herndon, Virginia. And um, the decoys, you know, play different roles, some more cheeky than others. And this particular decoy was playing a role of uh, a boy who said, dude, it would be so hot if you walked in naked. So John Kelly shows up, he gets in the garage, strips down to his underwear, and walks in. Naked. So I'm watching this. This is our second investigation, mind you, right? The second time we've done this. I'm watching this in the next room on a monitor with my security guy, Ron Knight. And they'd put a, a towel up on top of the refrigerator that I had to pass on the way there. So he's sitting there, and, and the decoy said, Count to 100, and you know, I'll be down with your surprise. And he's one, oh two, three, he's counting, and he gets about 20. And, I walk out with the towel. I said, do you want to explain yourself? And, and he wakes up and opens his eyes and well, I wasn't going to do anything. And it goes on. And so it ends and he leaves and gets his clothes. And again, we weren't collaborating with law enforcement during the investigation. Oh, that time. was the so early he, one. He just leaves. So the next day, we're in the house again. And there's all this commotion upstairs where the decoys were working, the perverted justice decoys. And I ran up there and said, what's going on? And they said, remember the guy who showed up naked yesterday? I said, kind of hard to forget. Right. He's back in a chat room, wants to meet another 13-year-old boy at a McDonald's nearby for sex. And I said, well, let's go. And so we showed up, and here he comes in his red pickup truck, and he walks in, and we move in, and, and he walks out. And, and I was trying to think, what am I going to say to this guy? You know, because he probably Hello is going to run. Yeah, and I said, I've been in this business at the time 20-some years and I've very seldom been at a loss for words, but I don't know what to ask you first. He said, I'm getting help. I said, I got news for you, John. It's not working. And off he went. I'm laughing because if you watched the episode, it was like, just a little comical. Oh, like absolutely. <laughs> Unquestionably. We had two naked guys. One showed up in, in Fort Myers, Florida. And the guy walks in naked, Marvin. It's Marvin, you're naked line. And he, he, he thinks the decoy is in this room where I'm at with the crew and, and he grabs the handle at the same time I grab the handle and, and he sees, he thinks he's going to find this girl and he's naked and I'm there and he's just, you know, stunned. I said, you know, take the, you know, towel and go sit down over there. And it just, it's, who does that? Who walks into a stranger's house naked? Fucking pedophile. I yeah, guess. exactly. I was watching um, a discussion on Twitter go down yesterday about how the word pedophile is actually somewhat of a corruption of language because the idea that we're defining these people as people who love children, file, right. is kind of like, maybe they should be called pedivores, like they'd want to devour, like, you know. Well, I always use the word predator because it covers it. Right. I mean, technically, my understanding of the word pedophile is an attraction towards a prepubescent child. I think that's the definition um, in the manual of psychiatry. Obviously, that range is, in our investigations, from 12 to 14, 15. So predator seems to be the, the catch-all phrase that I think is most accurate. But, but yeah. you're right. There is a debate over what is pedophilia. But yeah. They're pedophiles and predators. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what sort of springboarded you into, like, more online fame, which was the Onision case. I've completely, there was so much chaos, I've like forgot all about right, the details. Right. What's going on with that now? Well, there, you know, we did the documentary on, on Discovery Plus and, and it told the story and in a very dramatic way through the, the victims' voices, the survivors' voices. Um, he has not been criminally prosecuted as of yet. Um, you went to his house. I did. It was such a crazy Knocked point. on his door, yeah. Yeah, and he hid in his basement, called the called nine one one. But by doing that, you know, all kinds of other information came out. The information about the near death fall of one of their children. Oh yeah, one of his kids like yeah. fell out of the yeah second story window. My God. And so we learned a lot about the other police calls, law enforcement calls to the house, and a lot of 
information came out about him and the other victims. This person, Onision, was very adept at choosing vulnerable victims, right. as a lot of predators are. And so some of these cases have been difficult to prosecute. Um, I've been following it, and I believe that there will be legal consequences at some point Yeah. in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. I asked people what they'd want to ask you, and they asked why he hasn't been sent to jail or anything like that, and I'm like, I wonder why people think it's that easy to just send people to jail. Well, it's not. I mean, you look at the Epstein case, it took forever. You look at the R. Kelly case, it took forever. And I'm not trying to equalize any of these cases. They, they are what they are. He's kind of the YouTube cases. R. Kelly. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's that's fair. Um, but a lot of this took place during the pandemic in an area where law enforcement was putting out fires every day and didn't uh, investigate anything if it wasn't a homicide or mm -hmm. you know, a violent crime. And even though you could argue that some of these crimes, you know, rose to, uh, you know, an alarming level, because of that, I think there there has been no prosecution. Yeah. And, and I and I think there there are a lot of things too. When you, when you pick a vulnerable segment to prey on, you know, it's challenging for law enforcement to get the statements, to put right. these things together, to get cooperation. And because it happened, it started online. People are in faraway places. Having yeah. said that, I know that there are there are things in motion that will likely hold him accountable in the not too distant future. I think people are going to be super excited to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm confident. I had a discussion today. Oh, you did in preparation for this. Yeah, and there's not a lot more I can say about it, but of I, course, I feel like there's going to be some legal repercussion before too long. That's awesome. Because as far as I'm concerned he needs to go down just to not ruin the name of YouTube. It's like, we don't want to become the next Hollywood where we're excusing things. Right. We want to be different. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you know the story as well as I do. I mean, the, there's a lot of damage caused there mm -hmm. to a lot of young women. Yeah. Did you ever feel, like, bad for any of the people on the Catcher Predator? Maybe some of the, like you mentioned, you put them in three categories. Right. Ones, or certain ones you think can be re rehabilitated. Um, did you ever feel any level of empathy for I them? feel empathy for, for a lot of them. Um, okay. But that's overtaken by the knowledge that if I had not been there, if the crew had not been there, if law right. enforcement had not been there, what would have happened to a 13, 14, or 15-year-old kid? Mm -hmm. That would be a sexual assault. That would alter that child's life forever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's... And I've talked to these guys. I mean, part of what I do in the podcast, Predators I've Caught with Chris Hansen, is I go back over these cases and I immerse myself in the transcripts and the interviews. And then I go back and see where are these guys today. And I've got dialogue now going on with some of them who I believe are going to sit down with me and talk about the experience. Oh, and talk wow. About where they've been since then. I was going to ask. Yeah. Wow. And, and so I, I think there are some of the most well-known cases right now who are going to sit down with me. Wow. And so I think that's going to be very compelling from a lot of different levels. And uh, I just had a conversation yesterday with, with one of them, and um, I think he's going to do it. Oh, wow. That's so – Is I don't want to make you – or have you give anything away, but have any of them been rehabilitated or living I think some lives? are. I, oh, wow. I, I've seen some who are – you know, productive members of society who, as far as you know, didn't offend prior and haven't offended since. Um, and it, it's interesting because there is such a loyal following, right, online. Yeah. That, you know, there are people who track the predators who've been caught on the show. Oh, I'm sure. And there, there has been, you know, some interaction there. And it's, it's a big community. They call it the TCAP community. They call it the what? The TCAP community to catch a predator. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And, and and so there are thousands of people out there who follow these guys every move. And so very little happens that doesn't get back to me somehow. And I don't, I didn't organize this group. They're, right. They do this on their own. Um, and it's just, it's it's fascinating to me, though, how this network has developed. And, and, mm. and very little happens with one of these guys out of hundreds and hundreds that doesn't get back to me somehow.
it's almost like a public service, right? Like what you've done, I don't know. I'm a small government person, but it almost needs to be just state funded. Like there should just be. Well, yeah. I mean, we're, like I said, we're doing it and, and we, we've got uh, numerous investigations set up and ready to go. And all that will, you know, air on, on True Blue, uh, the new streaming crime network. Um, and, and I think it's, I don't think it's going away, sadly. No, there's always going to be fucking pedophiles. And, and I don't think the internet's going away. Right. If anything, it becomes more, um, it has more access than ever before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's hard to keep up with all the different social media platforms. Yeah. And you want to think your kid's safe, <coughs> excuse me, on Instagram. But we, uh, this case we just worked on, a 12-year-old girl in a chat room. And this guy knew how to push the buttons. And when they arrested him, they tossed his computer and his phone, and, and they found that there were two other incidents. And what these guys were doing was they were videotaping the sexual encounters and then selling that, which is child pornography, right. which is video of a crime, right. on the internet. Exactly. So the guy is getting his, you know, getting his, his, his fantasy, his illegal fantasy fixed, and then he's making money on the sign from it. You know, what kind like, of a horrible hum, human being does that? Blair? Shit like that, like, you know this world a lot better than I do, but shit like that makes me think like, I know you say that some of them can be rehabilitated and, and perhaps they can, but I'm like, can they? Like, what's the process to, when you've done shit like that, to, to be like, okay, now I'm an upstanding citizen and I'm- Not everybody can be real rehabilitated. And, right. and, and I think these guys have to want to be rehabilitated mm-hmm. and they have to be uh, involved in intensive therapy. I interviewed on the podcast, uh, a husband wife therapy team in actually here in Texas. And they've had a great deal of success with early intervention. And they told the story of a young man who had some issues in high school and they intervened and became a great kid. Whereas if they hadn't, this kid goes off and he's popular jock and, you know, is this the guy who commits the next date rape? Because that's what's scary, right? Right and wrong. Is that for a lot of these people, it actually does start those attractions. Right. When you're like a, a kid yourself. Right. But it, 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 that's exactly right. I mean, and, and so if there is early intervention or somebody is willing to admit that there's a, there's a, they need the help, yeah, I think there can be with monitoring and with some accountability. Uh, but you still have to, you know, the, people worry about having a registered sex offender in their city. The time to worry, and that's alarming, I get it, mm-hmm. but at least you know they're there. The U.S. Marshals every year does roundups of unregistered sex offenders. That's what you have to worry about. Oh, wow. And these guys who, who don't comply. Right. Oh, yeah, because I guess you can just choose to not. Right. Oh, yeah, it's completely voluntary, isn't it? There was a great story. The Marshals does a great job. U.S. Marshals does a great job with this. After Katrina in New Orleans, they the jails were open, some of the local county jails, parish jails, and there were 1,300 convicted sex registered sex offenders out and the u.s marshals rounded up each and every one of them oh wow they do these they do these big uh massive roundups a couple times a year um so i was reading that at least it was a little unclear but part of the reason why the show ended was one of these subjects killed themselves what's the story with that the story on that is that's not why the the show ended at least on on uh, nbc the story on that was during the investigation in murphy texas um, a guy surfaced who was an assistant district attorney, prosecutor. And he was chatting with a couple different decoys who identified themselves as young teen boys. Never showed up at the house. But they made the determination that he had committed a crime online. So the Murphy police went to his house, William Conrad's house, to arrest him. Our crews were there. Now, there's no indication that Conrad knew it was... Dateline NBC at all. Crew was in the street for the arrest. They went in to arrest him. He had been trying to get the hard drive out of his laptop. He pulled out an old gun and said, guys, I'm not going to hurt you, and shot himself, killed himself. On site in front of the Oh, wow. Yeah, in front of the police. Horrible. You don't want to see that happen. Life, flight, the whole thing. So it turns out that on the computer were multiple images of child pornography okay. for which he would have faced 10 years in prison for each one. 
also on that computer, which we didn't know until much later, was evidence of crimes committed by his boss, oh. the uh, elected prosecutor. Okay. Which, part of which helped send him to federal prison for a number of years. Oh, wow. So this guy who was telling you know, the world how bad Dateline was and how they didn't need to do this to this prosecutor and you know, his secret should be kept secret, he went to federal prison. So, so it's almost like they were like... Yeah. So anyway, there was a lawsuit against NBC. Conrad's uh, sister filed a lawsuit. We felt very confident in our position that we'd win. It should have been tossed out of court. And there were a whole series of controversies about why it wasn't. Anyway, a portion of the lawsuit was kept in. And, and the decision was made by the network at the time to settle it for much less than what was filed for. Because when you settle a lawsuit, you avoid having to go to court and have all your people tied up and testify. And also that settlement comes out of an insurance policy. Mm -hmm. When you go to trial, that comes out of the news budget. Now, it was a bitter pill to swallow because we knew we were right. Right. And nobody admitted any wrongdoing. And the settlement was a settlement. And that was the end of it. But we went on to do investigations afterwards. I've done several since then, both at NBC and then later for... Um, Hanson versus Predators, which ended up airing on Crime Watch Daily, which is the syndicated show I did, and now we're out doing them again. So, which is so great, by the way, you're bringing it back. Well, it's it's yeah, it, it's it's uh, it, 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 it's it's shocking me, as I mentioned earlier, that guys are still showing up, but that's the case. The landscape has changed dramatically in 18 years, so I don't see the problem going away anytime soon. So we're going to keep it as a part of the the investigations that we conduct. Right. So what is, and this is going to be valuable information for people, I think, and I think they'll kick me if I don't ask, what is taking all the knowledge that you gained from working with these people, working with these people, busting these people over the years, what is something you can tell to parents like you can avoid ending up in the situation? I think you need to have a conversation with your children as soon as they have access to the internet. And you have to start it in an age-appropriate way. So in the beginning, it's there are adults out there on the internet who want to trick you. Mm-hmm. Kids don't like to be tricked. This is how you keep yourself from being tricked and give them some advice. First of all, unless you know the person in real life, you don't know them online. Right. If somebody offers to send you something or give you something or meet you someplace, no. Because the person you think you're talking to who says they're a cute surfer guy from San Diego and sends you a picture indicating that could be a 54-year-old man in his underwear, fat, in his mom's basement surrounded by empty pizza boxes. Mm-hmm. And, and those likely things, is. Yeah, it could be. And those things stick with people. I mean, I, I remember, you know, working on a story about it, this poor girl who was kidnapped and murdered and the daughter of a cop who was doing everything right was on a Christian chat site and thought oh. she was talking to another kid and he was an adult and got the information and, you know, kidnapped her when the dad was on the night shift as a police officer and just a horrible story. Oh and here's a family who's doing everything right. Now, this is extreme, right? It doesn't happen every day. But I think you need to you need to make sure your kids aren't talking to people who they don't know in real life. Right. And that goes for gaming and you can't be giving away personal information. And, you know, again, especially coming out of the pandemic when everybody was spending virtually every waking hour online, texting back and forth and doing things, you, you need to monitor what your kids are doing. I think I wouldn't even let my kid have a phone until they're 16, 17. I mean, what's even... That's the, easy to say yeah. until you have a 14, 15-year-old who's Who all their friends have. Right. And you want... You can, you can put software on a phone. You can monitor it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can know where they are. You provide the phone. It's your phone. Yeah. You let them use it. But I don't think that there's anything wrong with a little parental snooping. Oh yeah, uh, I'd be a snooper for I sure. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, you know, my guys are largely out of that, or all out of that age, but now you worry about, you know, your parents being scammed by financial predators online. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, I mean, that's another subject that we've worked on and done stories on, and, and it's shocking what guys get away with. There. Yeah, there's people that give up like hundreds of thousands of dollars that they don't even really have. We've done the story. It's fucking nuts. Yeah. And well, that's the other thing is that when you're young, you're vulnerable because you're young. And then as you age, you get more vulnerable as you get older. Yeah. It's so sad. 
So tell people you're doing your podcast now. You're bringing back the old format. What's right. going on now? So now we've got the podcast, Predators of Gaunt with Chris Hansen. That's on all platforms. Awesome. Um, that's out there now doing very well. We've got uh, True Blue, the streaming crime network premiering in November, where we're going to have the new Predator series called Takedown. We're going to have a number of other documentaries that we're working on right now that are investigative and, and involving hidden camera work. And uh, people can go to watch trueblue.com for updates. And uh, social media official Chris Hansen on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Hansen and Facebook all over the place and Cameo and all that and more. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing the well, public for service me. and you for know, coming on the show. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great yeah. to see you. Great, great to be here in Austin and uh, uh, always a big fan. It was awesome. See you next time, Chris. Okay.